Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How are we doing, Generations Church? We doing all right? Woo! Man, you guys look great. You sound great. Let me just say to you right up front here, I'm not saying this to the other two services. Well, I'm not, I didn't say it at 830. I won't say that. I may have to say it at 1130. I'm speaking prophetically. I was just told we have no more chairs in the building. All right. So that's awesome. But I would love for you to make a New Year's resolution to go to a different service is what I would love for you to do. If you have to come to 10 because you work at like 1115 right down the street, Come to 10, but if not, 8.30 and 11.30 are great options, identical services, so just be praying about that, and if the Lord speaks to you, then you're really hearing from God, and if he doesn't, then you can't hear God. No, I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, we're glad you're here. We are glad you're here. It's a great, great day to be here. As we launch Generations Church, you've heard about it. They've talked about it. Uh, There's a lot of stuff outside. We want you to get a cake pop. We want you to get donuts. Evidently, we don't think anybody's fasting sugar this year, Uh, and so we want you to just enjoy that. They're having a party in all the kids' environments. They've been popping uh, all the cannons and stuff in there. It's a great day there. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff. You get t-shirts and all that. We want you to put a car decal on. We want you to help us spread the word. Um, here's what we know. I said this on Instagram this morning. For the last four years, we have been Canton Church. For the four years before that, we were Mount Perrin North Canton Campus. Uh, we are not planning to change our name every four years. That's not what we're planning to do. But over the last couple of years, really since uh, we disengaged from Mount Perry North, we were a campus of a church down in Marietta uh, for the first five years of our existence. And over the last two and a half years or so, since we separated from that church and they planted us to be an autonomous church, uh, we have really had this heart for generations. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it's talking about the faith story is for you, your children, and your children's children. And if you've been around here for any length of time over the last two and a half years, you've heard me say that uh, a good bit. But what we believe is that God desires for you to possess your faith and then pass it on. We want you to make it personal. We want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we want you to take that and allow God, as he's writing your story, to to invest that into your children and children's children, perhaps, or even the people around you that are in your life, in your sphere of influence, and so to pass your faith on. And so for us, Generations Church helps us to embody that in a little better way here in Canton. But also the Lord has been stirring in our heart, Corey and I, in our heart for the last uh, year or so, maybe two years, uh, uh, really to to see God do something, not just in this Canton community, but also this generational um, heart and vision into other communities. And so uh, Generations Church helps us to be able to to really chase after what God's doing in that regard a little better than Canton Church. If you took Canton Church and put it in another town name, it'd be a little confusing. And so we believe Generations Church, which has always been our heart, will help us to, to do that. And so we're prayerful. Um, about what God's going to do over the next year or two in that regard. And so we're thankful for that. We want you to help us spread the word. Go get you a t-shirt and all that kind of stuff. The best way to get a t-shirt is to join uh, one of our G teams. And so if you volunteer, we give you a free t-shirt. If you don't volunteer, we make you pay for it. All right, so we will bribe you. We're not above that. And then also you may hear us talk about this idea of living like it matters. Um, For us, what we're talking about here is that we believe that the way that you live actually matters. We do believe that as God is writing your story, the choices that you make matter. The way that you're, you're, you're marriage uh, embodies the love of Christ. It matters. The way that you parent, it matters. The way you manage your finances matters. The way that you work on your job, it matters.
matters. All of these things matter, and that shouldn't put undue pressure on you. It should cause you to kind of come back to God and go, God, i got to have your help if I'm going to make this thing work in a way that matters for eternity. And so next week we start a four-week series called Live Like It Matters. It's the best way we believe for you to start this new year. So we want you to be here with us over those four weeks. You're already off to a great start in church this week. So come be with us next week. And then what starts today, I referenced it a few minutes ago, 21 Days of Prayer. Over these next three weeks, we're trusting and believing God for some big prayers, some big things. We want you to participate in the fasting aspect. Maybe that's a specific type of food, a specific meal. Maybe it's a behavioral thing, social media, or some of the other things that you may do on a regular basis. You can give that dedicated time to God. We want you to participate. And then Monday through Friday morning, 6 to 7 a.m., we'll meet here and pray worship together. We'll get you out of here by 7, I promise, and then Saturday mornings we'll be here 8 to 9. It's going to be awesome, and so we want you to be a part of that. I think for me, as I've been thinking about this year, I was thinking about the fact that I have a regular rhythm to all of my years. Um, I start out really excited. It's kind of like the start of school when I used to buy all my school supplies. Like, I was like, this is the year. I'm going to be the most organized guy ever, right? And I got my trapper keeper. Nobody knows what that is anymore. And I got all my, my paper, and I got all my pencil pouches, and I was like, I'm going to be really organized this year. And by week three, I'm like, I can't even find that homework. I don't know what happened. And so that's how it happens from time to time in my years. But when I get to Thanksgiving every year, I get very reflective, well, I think that happens because in our family, on my dad's side, going all the way to my grandparents, they had a tradition that started over 40 years ago um, where at the end of the Thanksgiving meal, my grandfather would light a candle and talk about what he was thankful for in that given year. And so I've heard it now for several decades. I would hear him say something like, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that when I was unlovable and unsavable, God loved me and he saved me. And I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful. And he would say at that point, my, my grandmother's now passed on, but he would say, I'm thankful for Judy and the life that God has given to us and, and our marriage and our kids and our grandkids. And he would walk through that. And, and, and we call him Peepaw, and Peepaw could take as long as he wanted, right? And so he would go, and then he would light the candle of my grandmother. And then after she passed, he would light the candle of the person beside him. And then it would just continue around. And it didn't matter. If you could speak, you had to talk. You had to say what you were thankful for. And I remember when I was younger, my brother, he's like, um, I'm thankful for food and family and friends. And I guess he thought he had to do them in F's. He was like, in feet. And I mean, like, we just, you know, you just make it up as you can. Well, our daughter Kinley participated this last year. She's been participating now for several years. And so she's eight. And so she came well prepared. She had made notes. She knew she had to speak in public. She was a little nervous about that. And so it came her time. They lit her candle and she still pulled out her notes. And she was like, I'm thankful for God and Jesus and my family, my mom, my dad, my three brothers. I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for my pillow. I'm thankful for medicine. And she just starts working on the list. And everybody gets tickled and we're giggling about it. But then I got to thinking, I was like, man, I am thankful for my pillow too. Like the older I get, the more I travel. I take my pillow with me to the hotel. And like, I'm thankful for medicine. The flu's been going through our house the last six weeks. I'm thankful for medicine. And like, I was like, man, she is awesome and talking, you know. And so we, we talk about these things. Well, what happens is as I get reflective, I actually start to also project a little bit and start to think about the next year. And many of us do that as we get to the end of a year, between Thanksgiving and Christmas and then right after Christmas, we start talking about like our New Year's resolutions and our goals and what we want to accomplish. How many of you have some goals or New Year's resolutions for this next year? 17 of us. The rest of you, you're already failing. You've already failed the whole year. You went to the gym on January 1st and you pulled out because you heard Krispy Kreme had a deal on donuts. And so you're like, I'm done. I'll do that next year. I'm not even going to do that. Right? So I recognize that goals and resolutions for some of us, like they, they may hit or miss for us. 
But over the last few years, Corey and I have been like prayerfully considering, like, God, what is it that you want to do in and through us? I would love to tell you we're always that spiritual. Sometimes it's just like, I want to lose weight and save money and spend less and spend more time with family. Like sometimes it's been those things which we tend to repeat year after year. But there have been over the last few years, like, God, what do you want to do in my life next year? What do you want to do through my life in this next year? And sometimes that comes across as like a theme and a filter or a word for the year, whatever it is that you would call that. Well, I know for sure for 2020 what my word is. I don't have a word every year, but I know this year. I was driving in October in my car, and I would love to tell you again that it's always a spiritual experience. Revival breaks out in my car every time. But normally, I'm driving in traffic, and so I'm trying to just hold on to my salvation and sanctification. And so it's like, but in that moment, there was like the quiet and stillness of the car, and I very specifically felt God like impressing upon my soul what he wanted to accomplish in and through me in 2020. And that word was stretch. And that may not mean anything to you, Maybe when you hear that, it doesn't do a thing for you. Or maybe it kind of resonates with you. Yeah, there's something to this idea of stretching. I I think about stretch, and I start to kind of go back in my mind to my high school baseball career. I may not look like it now, but I was a little bit athletic in high school. And so I played baseball in high school and in the early part of college. and, And so at the beginning of every practice and every game, we had to stretch. And so we would get up in rows and lines, and we would start to stretch our legs and our arms, and we would stretch our core and our back, and, and then we one, two, three, four, and then we'd clap, like weird rhythmic claps and all this kind of stuff. And we would do that, and I was like, when can we get to the game? Like, when can we get to the glove and the bat and the ball and all? And like, when can we do that? And so there were times, I have to be honest with you, that I just kind of mailed it in on the stretching, right? I just didn't really pay attention. I was just like, 11, 12, all right, you know, and then I was done. I was like ready to play. Well, as my baseball career ended, I moved into an even better game for old people, old, uh, slow pitch softball. And so I started to play that. I was pretty good at it. And so um, what would happen is there was no practices, which was awesome. Like there's no warm-ups, no stretching, no calisthenics. You didn't have to clap and count. You didn't have to do any of that. The game starts at 9. You show up at 8.58. So I was like, I got this. We roll up to a game one night when I was at the end of my college uh, career there. And, and, uh, and so I come to a 9 o'clock game. I'm hitting in the first inning. Uh, ball comes in. And I hit it in the gap past the outfielders to the fence. I take off out of the box like I'm being chased by a guy with a knife. And so I'm running really fast. In my mind, it seemed like it was fast. Maybe it was slow. I hit first base, turn for second, and as soon as I turn, I felt it pop. My hamstring. I tore my hamstring. And here's what I realized, like, over the next few weeks and months as I was slowed way down, and it was aggravating, and it was painful, and I was limited in the things that I could do in my life and in my everyday routine. Here's what I determined, that when we don't stretch, we limit how much we can accomplish. When we don't stretch, we limit how much we can accomplish. That's why professional athletes, we see them hours before their games out there stretching on the field, preparing to increase the capacity, to increase the ability for their muscles to perform at an optimal level. Think about a rubber band. You could take a rubber band easily and just rip it in half. But if you just take it and flex it and allow it to perform in the way that it was created to perform, what you're doing is increasing its capacity to be able to hold more things. Well, I think in our lives, God desires to stretch us and to increase our capacity so that he can do more in us and through us in our lives. And so I I think for, for me, as I've been thinking about this word stretch, I've come back to one verse of scripture 
And I want us to spend all of our time today in that one verse of Scripture. Now, we'll have some other Scriptures we'll jump to just to kind of, you know, gain some understanding. But this verse of Scripture is found in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's actually a pretty famous verse of Scripture. This is what it says in the New King James Version. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Your translation may say, according to him, or now, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more above all that we ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. So however your translation says it, we're just talking about to a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly or immeasurably more than we ask or think, ask or imagine, according to his power at work in you and in me. And so as I've been thinking about that, I was thinking about, like, what's the context here? The Apostle Paul is writing this letter, the book of Ephesians that we have. It's one of several letters he's written in the New Testament. And some of those letters are in response to letters that those churches had written to him. So he's writing to correct bad theology or bad practice. He's trying to help them form a church or form their faith. But the book of Ephesians is different. One of the major themes of the book of Ephesians is where he's talking to them about dreaming bigger dreams and viewing God in a bigger way and chasing bigger things in faith. And, and so this is the benediction. This is the closing prayer of the book of Ephesians. Of all the things that he's talked about, he comes to this closing prayer and he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to his power at work in you. Like, what an amazing closing prayer. We're like, yes, let's do this, Jesus, right? And so what I want us to do today is I want us just to break this verse down, look at it like phrase by phrase to understand how God might use it to stretch us in 2020. Maybe it's not your word for the year, but if you just want it to stretch a little bit, you want God to fill you, do something new in you, lift your hand. A couple of us, yeah, we want to see God do more in and through us than maybe we've seen him do in the past. This is how the Apostle Paul starts. He says, now to him who is able. Now to him, talking about God, who is able. Here's what I know. Stretch must start with God or it isn't sustainable. I told you I kind of start every year like gung-ho. I'm like, I got goals. I got this. I got that. And, and sometimes my stretch, my desire to stretch me isn't sustainable. I lose motivation. I lose self-discipline in some of those areas. But if I really want to see a stretch that's sustainable, it's got to be a God stretch. It's got to be something where I'm seeking God to say, God, what is it that you're able to do in my life? What is it you desire to do in my life? If it doesn't start with God, it isn't sustainable. How often do we determine we have a need and then we immediately jump into problem-solving mode? Right? Maybe not you, maybe the person beside you, maybe somebody at a different church. But I know for me, from time to time, when I discover I have a need, I decide I got to fix this, right? And so it's like I got a financial need in my life. There's some kind, you know, the, the money ran out, but the month's still going. And so we're trying to figure it out. We're trying, and so it's like, what can I sell off? Or how much overtime can I work? Or, or can I do these? And it's like, all those things are good things. You need to work hard. You need to be a good steward of the finances that God's entrusted into your hands. But if you are doing those things because you view yourself as your provider, you've missed the point, right? If, if you view yourself as your source, everything you have comes from God. He is your provider. And so I think you should work hard. I think you should have a good work ethic. I actually think that followers of Jesus Christ should have the best work ethic on their job. If you're the guy or the girl that shows up a little late, leaves a little early, takes a little longer lunch break than you're supposed to, and everybody else is cleaning up your mess, don't tell them you go to our church. Tell them you go to a different church, okay? Because we don't want them thinking everybody at our church is lazy. No, I think if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have a good work ethic. You should work 
hard. You should show up on time and leave on time. And you should help your coworkers to do what's necessary to make your job successful. People should see that you are a follower of Jesus Christ by the way that you conduct yourself on your job. But if you do those things because you look at yourself as your source, your provider, you've missed the point. If we get a bad doctor's report and we go, oh, man, okay, well, then I got I to diet and I got to exercise and I got to do this and I got to do this. All those things are good. You should, you should manage your physical body well. You should take care of yourself. But if you do that because you think you are your own healer, you've missed the point. He's the great physician. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And so we take our needs to God. I, I've said this before. I stole it from somebody way smarter than me. But we sh prayer should not be our last resort. It should be our first response. So often what we do is we hear the need, see the need, find the need, and it's like, well, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I've done everything I can do, and I still haven't fixed it. Okay, God, let's see what you can do. No, 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 as soon as we find out we've got a situation going on, we've got something that's happening, we go, God, I give this to you. If I'm to play a part in this, if I need to take better care of my finances, if I need to take better care of my body, if I need to say I'm sorry in broken relationships, I will do that. But God, I'm bringing this need to you first and allowing you to orchestrate the solution to the problem that I find myself in. You are able. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says this. It says, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We talked about Zechariah a couple weeks ago in our Christmas message, that he was in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is the guy that was there with the, uh, leading the children of Israel out of the Babylonian exile in 520 BC. He was a governor in Jerusalem. He helped to rebuild the temple. And he has a vision in Zechariah chapter 3 about olive trees and lamps. And he's trying to figure out, like, what does it mean? And God lays out its meaning here in Zechariah chapter 4. He says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, He's talking about, it's my power, it's my spirit that will raise the temple back up. Not your strength, not your ability, not your ability to build something great or to rally a bunch of people. When I think about those words, might and power, might is the collective strength of a body, like a room like this. There's a lot of strength collectively. I look around and I see so many people that are gifted and the things that they contribute and the things that they add to our church and to their jobs and to their families. And, and so there's a collective might here. That's incredible. You think about the might of a nation's army or armed forces. They, they demonstrate their might. But if we ever get to the place where we are convinced that it's our collective strengths that grows a church, that meets needs, that saves people, it's the beginning of the end. It is not our might. Power is not a collective word. It's not a corporate word. It's an individual word. You have gifts. You have abilities. You have strengths. You have power. We're going to talk about that again in just a minute. But if you ever view yourself as your source, as your provider, as your healer, through your own abilities, it's the beginning of the end. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's incredible for us to remember. Let's look at what Paul said next. He said, to do exceedingly abundantly. To do exceedingly abundantly. Here's the question that I've been wrestling with in my mind. Is my God an exceedingly abundantly kind of God? What kind of God are we praying to? What kind of God are we talking to? Is he an immeasurably more kind of God? The problem that we have is that most of us have made God in our own image. We, we worship a God, we pray to a God who's just like the best version of us. It's like if we were a little more faithful, if we didn't have some of the vices that we had in our lives, you know, if we could just get a few more things right, if we hadn't made a few of the mistakes in our past, that's what God must be like. He just must be like the most perfect version of me or of you. 
But the reality is that that's not who God is. We are made in his image, but he is not made in our image. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways, his thoughts, his perspective, it's all different than ours. He, he's set apart. There's something different about his substance. That's why Jesus, when he was teaching us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he started that prayer before we could ask God for anything, before we could thank God for anything. We start that Lord's prayer this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, is your name. He's saying to us, listen, as you're praying, you need to remember who you're praying to and where he is. When you're walking through your problems, God is over your problems. You're praying to a God whose name is hallowed. It's holy. He's set apart. He's of a different substance. And so when we pray to God, we are not praying to the best version of who we are. We're praying to a God who is holy. A.W. Tozer says it this way, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us is what we think about God in our minds. So the question automatically becomes, what do you think about God? Is he a God who just meets your needs? Or is he a God that can exceed your needs? There's a great story in the Gospels where Jesus is uh, gathering a crowd and he's preaching to 5,000 people. And they did what some of us do. They came to church unprepared that day. You ever shown up to church unprepared? Uh, my wife tells a story. She showed up to church and she was wearing two different black shoes, right? And, and, and I've never done that, but like I've shown up sometimes and I didn't realize like I was supposed to lead the prayer that day or I was supposed to do the, you know, lead the devotion that day. And, and it, like there's tons of times we show up to church unprepared. Maybe you show up and you go, oh, I didn't even know I was supposed to serve today. Oh, you needed my, I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, that's what happens to these 5,000 people. Because Jesus had a tendency, not like me, not like our church, but other churches, other pastors, to go a little long in the sermon. And not here, other churches, some that you've never been to. So, so Jesus went a little bit long, and he goes into the lunch hour, and everybody gets hungry, and the disciples are like, Jesus, listen, it was awesome. Love the 11th point. That was really good. But everybody's hungry. What are you going to do about it? And in that moment, Jesus does something supernatural. You know what he did? He created the Varsity restaurant. He did. You go read it for yourself. He absolutely did. He looked back at the disciples and he said, what do you have? That's what he says. I promise you, you go read it for yourself. That's why I never feel bad when I eat at the Varsity. I'm like, oh my God, I feel terrible, but this is a holy moment. I don't know. During these 21 days, you eat the Varsity and don't feel shame at all. That's totally fine for you. But he looks back at them and he says, what do you have? And they were like, well, we don't, we didn't. I mean, you always make food. I don't know what we have. And so he's like, well, go find out. So they go out through the crowd. All 5,000 people came to church unprepared, except one little boy. He had a lunch with two and a half fish sandwiches, five loaves, two fish, right? Well, Corey and I are raising three boys. I can promise you, they don't even know what they're going to wear when they leave the house. Mom made that lunch for that little boy, right? And so... They take the lunch, they bring it to Jesus. Jesus, in this incredible mirror image of the Last Supper, takes what's given to him. He blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. That's a powerful story. And if the story ended there, praise God, hallelujah, let's bring the worship team out, let's sing, it's an awesome day. But at the end of the meal, the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Where'd they get the baskets? 
Evidently, while Jesus was preaching, they started a basket weaving ministry over on the side. I don't know how that happened, but it's like, we need some baskets. Well, these ladies over here have been making baskets the whole time Jesus has been talking. So they bring them over. They fill up all the baskets with all the leftovers. Is God that we pray to who is able a meets my need kind of God or an exceeds my need kind of God? Does he only do what is absolutely the bare minimum or am I praying to a God who can meet my need and have leftovers of blessing in my life? That's who I'm praying to. That's who I believe we're talking about when we say now to him who is able. It could be that in 2020 what needs to stretch is your view of who God is. It could be that the one thing that needs to change is how you view God, what you think about when you think about God. Look at what Paul continued to say. He says, above all that we ask or think. Above all that we ask or think. Now, here's what I want you to know. God is not your magic genie. He's not. He's not just waiting around in heaven for you to sing a couple of songs. He's like, well, I owe him a wish now. What are they going to ask me for now? That's not who he is. He's not your magic genie. And yet, look at what the psalm says in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What is the psalmist saying right here? If he's not our genie, if he's not just granting wishes, what is he talking about? Well, the longer that I live and the more that I walk with God, here's what I believe he's saying. The more that I delight myself in the Lord, the more I desire the things that God desires for me. The more that I'm talking to God about the things that God is talking to me about. It's not a manipulation of the scripture. It's saying when I delight myself in the Lord, I am now delighted by the things that he's delighted about in me. And I begin to change the things that I'm asking God for. Here's what I fully, wholeheartedly believe. You may not have enough faith for this today, but I've got enough faith for you, okay? If you need a car today, I believe you could pray and ask God for a car and God could give you a car. You ever prayed for a car? Anybody ever prayed for a car? I've prayed for a car. There have been seasons in my life. I, I don't always drive the best cars. We try to have a nice, safe car for Corey and the kids. And when we take road trips, we want it to make it all the way there and all the way back. But in my car, I just need to get from point A to point B. So I'm not really concerned with what I'm driving. I'm usually trying to find something I can pay cash for or sell the old car to get. And so, you know, there have been times where I've prayed specifically, like, God, I need a car. And so a few years ago, this was several years ago, I was praying for a car and asking God to provide supernaturally. And my dad was helping me look online, and we found a car that was out of state. He's like, man, this is nice. It was a 1997 Volvo, which sounds amazing, except it was well past 1997 on my calendar. And so we looked it over, we did the specs, and I was like, all right, yeah, this is great. So I flew up to this place where the car was at, test drove it, checked it out, decided to buy it, paid for the car. Start driving home. I am less than an hour down the road from the guy that I bought the car from. And I'm driving, and all of a sudden it's like, whew, something flies by. I'm like, oh my God, I killed a bird. I mean, I don't know what, I hit somebody. I don't know what happened. And so I pull over to the side of the road. I'm looking around. I'm like, did I hit somebody? And I go to the front of my car, and I'm missing a headlight. Now, when I bought the car, it had two working headlights. But now it's missing a headlight. I'm like, well, I'm just going to drive it with one headlight because I can't find it. And so I drove home. Here's the deal. Listen, it wasn't the nicest car I've ever owned. But it was exactly what I needed for me and for my family in that season. If you are praying that God would give you a car and you only want him to answer that prayer, if it's a 2020 leather seats, God's not on the hook for that. If you want to post about it on Instagram, people are like, but look at you and your faith and your favor and your blood. God's not on the hook to answer that prayer. 
But I wholeheartedly believe, based on everything that I read in Scripture, that if you say, God, I don't have transportation to provide for my family. I'm wasting money and time on ride shares and public transportation and, and Uber and all, I, I mean, all kinds of different things. I'm trying to do the best that I can to provide for my family. But God, would you give me some kind, I don't care if it's got one headlight, would you give me some transportation so that I can do what I feel called to do for my family, for my, I believe that you could walk out of your house tomorrow morning and go into your driveway and there could be a car right there with a big bow on it and there's a sign that says to you from God. I believe God can do that, right? Maybe you don't. But it could be that in 2020, what you need to do is stretch what you're asking God for. Just stretch what you're imagining and thinking that God might do in and through your life. Did you know in the Bible it actually says you have not because you ask not? I think most of my life I thought that was a fortune cookie. I don't think I knew that that was actually in the Bible. But the context in, in the book of James, in James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, says this. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The first part says that you, you ask, but you don't get because you're not actually asking God. You're looking to yourself as your source, your provider, or to someone else. But even when you ask God, sometimes you don't get it because you have the wrong motives. You would spend it on your own pleasures. It's not about what God can do in and through you. It's about what you want for yourself. You're delighting yourself in you and not in the Lord. And so what if this year we just stretched our motives and we said, God, I purify my motives. I make them about you. I delight myself in you. And God, I'm going to ask you for some big, hairy, audacious things in 2020. I'm actually going to ask you, God, and believe that you can save my spouse which I've been praying for for a long time. I'm actually asking God that you would send me a spouse. I've been praying for that for a long time too. God, I'm believing you're going to send me a godly spouse. We're going to ask God to bring our sons and daughters home. And we're believing that God can do it. We're going to put him first in our finances and believe that he can actually turn our finances around. We're going to believe God for the faith to step out and start a business or go back to school or have a baby or adopt a baby. We're actually going to ask God and believe that even if we've asked it before, that this is the year that we find freedom from addiction that's had us bound up for a long, long time. Because he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we ask or think. Could it be that this year I just need to stretch what I'm actually asking God for? Maybe God is answering every prayer that I'm praying. They're just too small. What is it that we need to stretch our faith and ask God to do? in this next year? Do I believe that he can? And if I do, then why am I not asking him for it? Let's look how Paul wraps this up. He says, according to the power that works in us. According to his power at work in you. We've already talked about it. God has the power. It's his power. But guess what? God doesn't just hold on to all his power by himself. He desires to place that power in you. It's exactly what Jesus did at the feeding of the 5,000. He could have called down manna from heaven. It had been done before. He could have, in his sovereignty, created a whole new animal that had amazing tasting meat. Could have, if he wanted to. But what did he do? He looked at the disciples and said, I want you to play a part in the miraculous story of what's about to happen through the power of God. Come and be a part of the story. He's still doing that. He desires for you to be a part of the story that he's writing in 
the earth. We started in Ephesians chapter 3 with the benediction, the closing prayer. Look at how Paul starts the book of Ephesians. This is verse 19 and 20 of chapter 1. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The book of Romans tells us that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God desires to find willing vessels that he can put his power into for his purposes. Not for your glory, not for mine, not for my purposes or your purposes, but for his purposes. That's what God desires to do. So could it be this year that what needs to stretch is not your view of God, it's not even what you're asking God for. It's your view of you. That you are the kind of person that God can use. That you are the kind of person that God desires to do something through. Like, could it be this year that the stretch is for you to say, yeah, God, I'm, I'm in. I want your power. I want, I want your strength. Empower the gifts that you've placed inside of me. Let me jump on a G team and get a free t-shirt. But not for me. So that when people walk into these doors, they're greeted and helped to find seats and checked in and their children are served and help me to find a willing vessel to serve as I'm a willing vessel for you to use. God, I, I want your power. Look at your neighbor and say, there's greatness in you. Now look at the person that was your second choice and say, there's greatness in me too. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, what I want you to understand is the greatness of God's power. There's greatness in you. There's greatness in you. It's the greatness of the power of God. Not by might, not by power, not by strength, but by the Spirit of God. That James tells us he jealously desires to connect to the Spirit that he placed inside of you. There is power. And it's his power at work in us. And so maybe I need to stretch. Stretch my view of who God is. Stretch the prayers that I'm praying, the things I'm asking and imagining. Maybe stretch my view of who I am and how God might use me. Stretch my faith. But let me ask you a tough question as we close our time. If today you pray a prayer, it's big. It's exceeding abundantly kind of big immeasurably more kind of big. You say, God, in the next year, I want my business to double. God, in the next year, I want to meet the person that I'm supposed to marry, and I want to be married by this time next year. God, in the next year, fill in the blank. If 365 days from now, your business is the same size it is today, if you're as single then as you are now, is he still able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine? Or is he only able if he does it the way we want him to do it? What if God knows that if your business doubled this year, you'd be bankrupt next year? Because you're not ready. You don't have the systems in place. You don't have the staffing in place. You don't have the structure in place. You don't have the capacity personally for your business to know. And God knows that, and in his sovereignty, he's protecting you. What if that's how he demonstrates his ability to do exceedingly abundantly 
above all that we can ask or think. What if God knows that he needs to take the next 12 months of you fully devoting yourself to him before you can give yourself to anybody else? So that you're not just ready for 12 months from now. You're ready for the next 50 years of your life lived with someone else. What if God knows that? Because he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Here's the reality of what we've been talking about all day long. If God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, as soon as you pray it, God has the power to answer it differently. If the verse said God is able to do exactly what you want him to do, that'd be something a whole lot different for me to preach today. But he said he's able to do exceedingly different, bigger, abundantly, beyond your wildest expectations. So he has the ability to do differently than you're asking for. And so maybe, maybe your stretch is not about who God is. It's not about what you're asking for. It's not about who you are. Maybe your stretch is to trust God more in 2020 than you've ever trusted him before as the story of your life is being written differently than if you held the pen. We believe here at Generations Church that God is writing your story. Do I trust him enough? Do you trust him enough? Is our faith willing to stretch enough, to increase its capacity enough to believe and trust God to answer prayers differently than we pray them? He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think according to his power at work in us. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around? If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know my first step is obvious. I need to ask God to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins, change my eternity forever. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you today. Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I, I need to stretch. I, I need to stretch my view of who God is. I need to stretch the prayers that I'm praying this year. I need to stretch my view of who I am. Or maybe I need to stretch my trust and faith in God to answer prayers differently than I pray them, perhaps. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? God, we thank you today for who you are, and we ask you now to answer these prayers, these hands lifted that indicate a heart crying out to you. God, I pray for every person that's acknowledged their need for you, and I ask you now to save their souls. God, we join them into this family of God as we all are in pursuit of you. It's not about perfection. It's just about pursuit of you and relationship with you. And so, God, we ask you now to bring them on this journey with us as sons and daughters of God in pursuit of a holy God. God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to say, I want to stretch this year. I want to change my view of who God is and see him as a God who is able to exceed the need. I want to change the prayers that I'm praying. I want to ask God for some bigger things. I want to change my view of who I am, that God could actually use me. And I want to stretch my faith to trust God that he knows what's best for my life. God, I pray that you would meet all of these needs and answer all of these prayers. But God, take us on a journey this year. Stretch us. Increase our capacity. Blow our minds by what you do in and through each of us. And God, in all of this, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.